Hello and welcome to another episode of the Viva Bastardo Show brought to you by the Haggerty Podcast Network. Today, for the first time, we have a watch dealer on the show, my friend Adam Golden of Mentor Watchers. Uh, he gives some fascinating insights into the market, into buying and selling watches, into what's hot, what's not, into my miserable taste in watches and cars, my obsession with ugly things. Uh, it's very abusive. So let's get into it. be great for us if it was just me and you sitting and talking sh talking shit like we normally do but it probably wouldn't make for an interesting podcast no it would be really interesting man because it'd be <laughs> it, <laughs> at least to us it'd be really interesting it's gonna be me making fun of you for like an yeah. hour and a half you know well you don't think there's gonna be any like tennis hitting the ball back whatever kind of metaphor that was <laughs> All right, well, well, whenever the, you want to start, let me know. We're, we're off, man. First of oh, all, we're off. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, thank you for really for dressing up, man, for the occasion. I really, dude, appreciate I, I had to. You know, I brought the jacket in and everything. Listen, <laughs> I'm in Miami. People forget that, like. First of all, I, you know, 10 years ago when I used to practice law, I wore a suit and tie every goddamn day. And as soon as I quit practicing to do watches full time, I was like, I don't ever want to do this. And there's, there's some dealers and, and people who show up to like the auctions, like dressed to the nines, like in a nice suit and tie. And it's like, I'm sitting there spending more money than they are in a jeans and t-shirt. Like no one cares, you know, um, except for the one security guard at Phillips uh, last <laughs> November. I went to the bathroom at a Phillips auction. I was dressed like this minus the jacket. So just shirt and t-shirt. And I'd taken my watch off to give it to somebody who was sitting in the crowd to take a look at it. And I go to the bathroom, I come back and the security guard stops me. So he stops me and he's like, he was speaking French, but I, I understood what he was trying to say. Like, was this sure in New York? Supposed to, no, this was, in, <laughs> this was in Geneva. And it was like, are you sure you're supposed to be here? Like he full, like no one gets stopped. Because he, listen, he man, me. he's just not down with the semen stained t-shirt vibe. I mean, you would just probably, you'd just go to the bathroom, you'd rub one out, you were looking a, bit, a little sleepy, <laughs> maybe you just mopped it up with a t-shirt. <laughs> I, I do admire your commitment to the jizz rag t-shirt, man. I've, I've got to say, it is and, your and you brand know, identity. But you know what the funniest part is? Is that Like, you know, Eric Wind has the glasses and the kind of like uh, the 1950s oh, dad vibe. You've got, <laughs> you've got but you that. Know, but wait, but wait, it's like but people wait, there's like more. But wait, am I like in all the YouTube videos and everything, people make fun of my t-shirts and the funny, yeah. like that I look homeless and all this stuff. The funniest part is, is that like, these are from one single brand, uh, a Japanese brand that I really love. And they're like, not cheap too. Like they're not like inexpensive t-shirts. <laughs> it's just, it's just the way you wear it, Adam. It's just the way I, you carry it off. Man. I guess I, I spend a lot of money to look homeless, I guess. <laughs> you are the one you sell. The, you, it is, it is impressive though, man. But it's funny because I've been watching when you watch other dealers on YouTube. So there's a whole armada of dealers who are like super swole bros in really tight t-shirts. Oh, yeah. You know, mostly LA it seems, but a couple in Miami. And then there's you with the homeless semen stain vibe. And then there's Eric Wynn <laughs> with, with the kind of professorial 50s dad vibe. Um, um, I'm trying yeah, to that, other... that describes him very well. Yeah. But look, I mean, we've known each other. <laughs> I would sorry. say I should I should just we should probably just explain to people who you are. You are a watch dealer. Um, you were you've been doing it for how long, Adam? Uh, coming on 10 years now. No shit. You're the first yeah. dealer on the program. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You, you know I feel, what's good? I feel honored. You could you could tell people what a miserable fucking client I am. <laughs> uh, I've ha I have worse. I have worse, but you are pretty fucking miserable. No, I mean, listen. Uh, <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> hey, I, hey, hey. How do I put this delicately? No, the, the, um, you are actually. You should know. You don't actually ever put anything delicately. 
So, and that is the both. That's the joy and the and the, and the, the misery problem, of Adam Golden. The problem with you is that you know almost too much. You know, so it's like the you're man trying who knows too much. It, no, it's true. I mean, and I just get sucked in by your sexy hair. So like I, I cave to your demands, <laughs> but you and know, my fake tan. You know, you're you're trying to buy for the same price that I'm trying to buy for. You know what I'm no, saying? So it doesn't always, our interests always don't align. Um, Cause I'm a cheap bastard, man. I'm a totally that, cheap bastard. Absolutely. No, I fully admit that. Yeah. It's you being cheap, but it's also just, you know, education, you know, and then right. there's not, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think a lot more, a lot of, a lot of buyers could use, you know, that kind of mindset where it's like going into a purchase doing your research, you know, being educated about it. There's, there's too many times where, and I don't mind because I, obviously I have a wealth of knowledge and I'm happy to share it with people, but there's too many occasions where I have to literally hold somebody's hand and educate them about sure. the watch they're about to spend a hundred thousand dollars on. Like it sure. shouldn't, you should kind of, uh, already well, be look, at that place. Well, yeah. You, you know? feel like if you're going to spend a hundred grand, you should know what you're, what you're, what you're getting. At. I right, will exactly. say, man, I was watching some videos of you on YouTube late last night, just me and some hand cream. And I was, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was thinking, it's actually really interesting to watch someone like you look at a watch because, like, I will look at watches. Sometimes I'll even buy a watch and then I'll get it and I'm like, oh fuck, I just totally missed that there was this thing or that thing <laughs> with it. So, and and when I watch you look at a watch, you know, loop goes up the thing, and you look, you know, you like move it around, and then you like rattle off. 15 things about the watch, the year, the, the clasp, you know, the, 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 the crown, the pusher, whatever. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to see because for, for me, I'm, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm flattered you say I know too much. I feel like I barely know anything. But it's kind of it, you look at it from a purely uh, business I am on your podcast, so I have to, you know, jerk <laughs> off a little bit. You know? um, well, so... Here's but whatever, hang on, let me finish my thought, man. You look go, at go, it go. from a, when you're looking at a watch. I'm watching you look at this watch from purely rational business like perspective. Whereas I look at a watch, I'm like, oh, it looks so good on the wrist and, you know, shiny and the blue is lovely and all that kind of bullshit. So it's interesting to see someone look at it and analyze it so uh, rigorously. So it's, it's funny you say that because I always criticize, and th there's a reason I do that, and I'll get to that in a second. It's funny because I criticize uh, a lot of collectors specifically for example and and not to, to totally sandbag them but like a lot of asian collectors for example the first thing they do when they you hand them a watch you want to show them a watch in person the first thing they do is they immediately go to the loop they don't even look at the watch to see like hey do i like this watch does it resonate with me aesthetically is it pleasing to me they immediately go and start looking for flaws you know but they're collectors doing that and, and, and it kind of drives me nuts is because i think when you're buying a watch it's very much a passion driven uh, purchase, you know, it should be something that resonates with you, that you love, that, you know, grabs your attention, that you're interested in. Um, and they're immediately going and looking for us. And they're, they're not the only ones. There's a lot of collectors these days that are doing that. When I'm doing it, it's very analytical. Why? Because it's my money on the line. So you that's feel right. as a private buyer, if I sell you a watch that's misdescribed, you notice some flaw that I maybe overlooked, you can return it to me, you know, obviously. Um, I have a return policy, you know, everything as described, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when I'm buying a watch from somebody, it's generally a lot harder for me to return it because sure. I'm the quote unquote expert. I'm the professional. So it's my money on the line. I really need to a know my shit and B inspect that watch in depth because once I cut a check, that's it. It's over. Deal's done. 
Um, and and there's no takesy backsies, you know? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) so, you know, and, and, and that's not to say that I don't make mistakes and other dealers don't make mistakes happens all the time. You know, me based on the sheer volume, things slip through the cracks and, you know, I've lost a lot of money on stuff that I've overlooked that there's been problems with watches or issues or major issues. Uh, and I've just had to take it on the chin and that's just the cost of doing business. Um, but yes, uh, you know, I, I inspect every single watch that I sell. Um, so I have a lot of experience doing it. You know, I'm talking right. over a hundred watches a month, uh, that I sell. So it, it's kind of become second it, nature, it, but it is interesting. It is just fascinating to watch because like you say, I mean, I, I just, I kind of just admire and slightly envious of that. I mean, I feel like this is just a massive Adam massaging, soapy massage conversation now. But I'm, I'm, but I'm I can kind teach of... you, but I have to charge. <laughs> you can take me on as an apprentice. Now. But uh, um, what was I going to say? So, I mean, we're also inter- we're also kind of in the middle of this. Um, well, you are, you are, well, a couple of things. You are famously, you are famously abrasive, but in the most glorious possible way. But, but it may, but it, it, but what I find kind of lovely about that, man, is that it, you're also very open. Like you'll post on Instagram the exchanges you have with people on eBay that are utterly crazy. I mean, I have to say, man, I'm kind of. I, well, I, I, don't I don't sell know. on eBay anymore. So that's why people have asked me, like, hey, can you bring it back? I'm like, I can't. Cause I don't sell on eBay anymore. I gave up. Like I straight up, I threw in the towel, Phil. I threw in the towel. I, I had enough, you know? Well, well, it's interesting but, because I, I try every now I'll sell maybe one or two watches a month, if that, but, and in part, not because I don't like the watches, but because I've got such a short attention span that I'm like, Oh, I like that. I still like that, but I like this thing more. And I must have that thing. Squirrel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> man. Exactly. Um, but, but it, there are there are like three basic things that people say, and I'm sure, and and this is why I have, I doff my cap to you for making this your business. That people say they're like, oh, let me think about it, which means no. Let me ask my wife, which means no. Uh, <laughs> let me get back to you, which means no. Um, what are the <laughs> what are the other ones? Oh, I just oh, bought I just so bought many. I just bought I just bought a big I just bought something big, which means right. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's so many. And it's usually whenever there's, like you said, whenever there's like a, a, a mundane excuse like that, it's, it's, you'll never hear from that person again, you know, right. uh, very rarely, very, very rarely. Right. If they say, let me think about it, or let me talk to my wife. That, yeah, that's automatically. Oh, the other one is if they ask you for the price in the comments, never, they'll never, they'll I mean, never that literally buy- was just in my head. That was literally <laughs> just in my they head. They will never ever that. buy that watch. How no. much? Never well, buy that watch. It, and it's weird because, uh, you know, you would think uh, people asking for price are genuinely interested, but it's it's almost like they want to, like, feel uh, psychologically better about themselves, that they're like a player in the game, I'm actually, like considering I'm actually making not this big sure. purchase, I, you know? I think, I, I'm not sure. Well, I would also speculate that part of the, re- the, the thing that's glorious about the Internet and infuriating for someone in your position is that you can almost buy everything. Like yeah. in your mind's eye, you if you start inquiring about a watch, send me pictures, this, that, the other, you're you create you start constructing this fantasy where you are kind of considering buying this really expensive watch when you actually can't right so it's like it's like like when i tire kick on cars you know exactly it's It's kind of like it's kind of like it's like it's like wanking to porn right like you're involved yeah you're involved in a fantasy the only difference is that you're taking up someone else's time right yeah i i try you know and i listen it's okay. It's part of the game, you know, and you could genuinely be interested in purchasing a watch from me and then change your mind or just not the right fit or not the right watch. Right. And that's okay. You know, you know, just because you inquire doesn't mean you have to buy the watch. Right. Like you and I, how many cars do we inquire on that? We don't end up buying uh, It's a much different kind of purchase. Um, <laughs> but, 
But uh, that being said, I, I probably, you know, I'm sure there's some car dealers out there that fucking hate me. Um, but I'm always <laughs> trying to be very respectful and mindful of their time and very upfront uh, about the odds of me purchasing it or, you know, what's going like to happen. Like when you tell me you want to buy my 037, I know that's just bullshit. I do want to buy your 037, <laughs> but I'm the only You're not mad enough. <laughs> I'm the only asshole in the world who buys a car in Southern RM Sotheby's by mistake. Uh, so it kind I of bought, took a lot of what, my bankroll. What, 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 <laughs> I bought a car from uh, Bonhams. Wait, you didn't hear the story about how I mistakenly bought a car in Southern? Well, you like sneezed and hit the send button? Kind of. Okay, so... <laughs> Is it, oh, looking, this is going to be like one of those eBay stories where someone goes, oh, my kid actually bid on the watch. <laughs> I thought I told you. It, pretty much. I thought I told you about this. Okay, wait. So I've been looking, pondering, tire kicking for like three years now on a 993 RS. Okay. Right. Uh, you know, a you want to buy a Porsche? Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> wait, a Porsche? <laughs> so, so I've wanted one of these for a long time. Uh, I ended up buying when I was actually seriously looking like three years ago, two, three years ago, I bought uh, a Ford instead, uh, Ford Taurus. <laughs> wait, wait, um, wait, hang on a minute. Hold on. Hang on. You were trying to buy a 993 RS turbo and then you bought a Ford Taurus. First of all, 993 RS is not a turbo. All right. I don't even think you know what. Okay. okay. But well, but is that because they're physically very similar looking and also phonetically the Ford Porsche name, it's easy to confuse. So you just yes, meant. Yes. Yeah, okay. But anyway, so I went with another, <laughs> I, had, I had like two grail cars. It was the Ford GT uh, 0506 variant um, and 993 RS. Okay. I ended up going for the Ford GT. Um, Do you still have so that? I did, Still have that. Yeah. So uh, I don't get to drive it that much because Miami has the worst fucking drivers in the world. Uh, but anyway, Everywhere in America is the worst drivers in the world. No, 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 no. We Come have on. a special breed of assholes down here. <laughs> um, so wait, wait, wait. So so I've been still like thinking about, dreaming about this 993 RS for a long time. But I'm like, oh, I don't have the money. Like it's just really irresponsible. Like it's a lot of money because the cars go anywhere from like 350 to 500 depending on the spec, whatever, you know. Um, so there was my one, a local car dealer who I sell my cars through vintage car dealer. Uh, he knows I've been looking, he knows I've been like thinking about one for, you know, years now. And the first RM Sotheby's sale in Miami was, uh, in December of last year, I actually was flying home from New York from the auctions. And there was, he, he went like literally a couple hours before the sale started and was walking around and sees this 993 RS club sport. Now, A, I don't want a club sport and B was in guards red the color. I hate the most. Okay. So same, I'm like, oh, that, yeah, I'm like, that's cool. But like, you know, not really what I'm looking for. Estimate was 350 to 450,000. Okay. And I'm like, listen, it's around the drinks. Be, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, listen, if it, if it could be bought cheap, like, sure. But now here's, here's where the trouble starts. Cause I buy a lot of watches in auction, Phillips, Sotheby's, Christie's, Bonhams, whatever, Antiquorum. Uh, and generally when you're buying a watch at auction, let's say the estimate is a hundred thousand to 200,000. Uh, the reserve is a hundred thousand, the low estimate, or maybe they'll, they'll knock off some of their premium and sell it at 95 just to push it through. Okay. So it's not $60,000 below the low estimate. That doesn't happen. That doesn't exist. Okay. So estimates 350 to 450. I'm like, listen, if I could buy the car for like 325 all in, which is like 280, 290 hammer, uh, it's cheap. Why not? You know, grab the paddle, you could bid for me. And I'm thinking, Phil, there's zero risk in telling him you could bid for me uh, because there's no way they're going to sell it that far below the low estimate, which in my mind is the reserve, like zero fucking chance. So like, 
Okay, yeah, go ahead. You want to seem like a big dick in the room putting up your paddle? Like, go ahead, bid for me, no problem. You know, I know zero about this car, have not read anything, have not asked anybody to inspect it. <laughs> this is the day of the sale, okay? You're so, basically, so hang on. You're, you know how at the beginning of this conversation, you said someone buying a $100,000 watch should kind of know what yes. they're buying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, so let's just a full, name a, is yeah, a full circle. Okay, we got it. Full circle. <laughs> okay. So I'm putting my kids to sleep. My wife's out of town, so I'm putting them both to bed at the same time. I'm sitting on the floor in a dark room, and all of a sudden, text message pops up from my buddy Giancarlo at ASG Miami. He's like, you got the car. I'm like, what? First of all, my heart sinks, and I'm like, what do you mean I got the car? He's like, 290 Hammer, you got it. I'm like, what do you mean I got the car? And I literally feel I had like a fucking panic attack because I wasn't expecting to win the car and I don't have $325,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh so okay. I'm like, all right, all right. So again, now going back to the parallels with the watch world, I'm like, okay, well, when I buy a watch in auction, usually they'll give me some time to pay. Uh, I could ask for like 30, 60, 90 day terms or at the very least, they'll give me like 30 days because they don't pay their consigners out for 45 days. So no big deal. You know, I'll figure it out. I'll sell a couple cars. I'll, I'll, I'll scrape together the money. I'll figure it out, you know? So I text uh, my buddy, Rich Lopez, who works for the New York watch department, you know, Rich, sure. yeah. um, at Sotheby's. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> uh, can you hit up your friend at RM Sotheby's, like somebody you know, um, and, and see if they can get me some terms or whatever. And so he texts the guy and the guy was like, well, you could give your client terms, but we need payment within one business day. And I'm like, <laughs> what <laughs> so it gets better they send me an invoice on sunday and they're like if you don't pick up the car monday we tow it away and you have to pay tow fees and storage fees somewhere in miami so great uh <laughs> what could you do um, what happens if you don't pay just out of interest i mean i think they ban you uh right. you know you might get like a sternly worded lawyer letter um threatening to sue you i don't know uh right. i know there's certain thresholds like i've heard from auction house specialists uh and friends in the auction world that like if it's 500k and up they might go after you legally to try to enforce it because you have a contract with them when you bid sure. you're you have a contract um but below that it might not be worth their time and lawyer fees and all that stuff uh in this case i, I really don't know uh, but i also didn't want to my, my friend bid under his account for me oh, I like see. i didn't want to put him, him i didn't want to put him in that position obviously and and listen you know i'm a man of my word if i say i'll buy something i'll buy something if i say i'm selling you a watch and the watch is yours and i realize hey, okay. it's worth a lot more you have to get a shakespearean on me man with the man of my word no 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 you know me i know i know i know so i know, just I, I i immediately call like my finance people um because a client of mine, a good friend, he used to own Premier Financial. He recently sold it, but I'm still in contact with them. And I was like, hey, what's uh, going rate these days? And they're like, oh, it's prime plus 3%. I'm like, 10%. Like, all right, so financing's out. That just sounds crazy to me. It's not worth it. Um, I ended up getting the money together. And before I had even sent the wire, Jordan and I walked over there on Monday because it was right down the street from our office uh, where they have held the auction. And I guess because they knew who I was and somebody put in a good word, they literally tossed me the keys and they're like, hey, please send the wire when you can. Because this was like first thing Monday morning. I hadn't even sent the wire. Uh, drove off with the car. And I'm like, yeah, I'll go to Turks and Caicos. I'll see you guys later. You know? <laughs> but wait, but, so you, could, you got a genius deal or not? It was a very good deal. Uh, I ran into a local Porsche car dealer that weekend. It was like the World Cup after I picked it up. And he had one for sale asking a lot more. And he's like, dude, you, you killed it with that purchase. 
Um, but you know how it is. Like, you know, everybody's telling you, you got such a good deal. But then when you try to sell it, they're like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you paid three twenty five in auction. I'll give yeah. you three twenty six. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's so. always, there, there is something fascinating about that the psychology of that. Like, right. you, if people know what you paid, they 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 get upset with the idea of you making, you making money. money. Yeah. Well, there's two there's two kinds of people I I encounter. It's one uh, clients who realize like I'm running a business here and I need to make money to be able to continue to run said business, or b people that like God forbid you should ever make money on a watch or a car or whatever. Uh, and you're that's, like the devil I'm the, for doing I'm the, so. I'm, I'm that one, aren't I? I feel, no, I feel like every every time I send you a text about a watch, I'm like, yeah, if you find one of these, but super cheap. Yeah, no, <laughs> every, but I mean, listen, you bought a couple watches for me and it was stuff that like I wasn't normally looking to stock. And I'll tell you like, hey, Phil, I'm being offered this. Like, I know you like this watch. Like, what, you know, <laughs> where reason. would you be comfortable? You know, and I'll flip it to you as if you were a dealer just because it's not something I'd like to stock anyways. And because it's your fucking weird Phil watches. <laughs> because and, no one else will buy it and, from you. And you're a good friend. So like, you know, it's all about relationships. Like I'm going to sell sure. at better prices to people I encounter and deal with and trust and, you know, have respect for uh, a lot more. Um, you know, it's, it's funny me? you say that though, because... Uh, <laughs> I feel that's pushing. That's pushing. Let's yeah, not go too pushing. far. You do have beautiful hair, like elegant... <laughs> Long flowing hair. What it's, if I just? What if this is just a fucking? No, weird. no, stop, stop, Phil. You're, it's you're gonna come off. Mystique. You're ruining uh, the mystique. <laughs> I want. You know what I want to do? I just want to peel it off. I just want to uh, peel it off. That'd be that'd amazing. Be, that that would be amazing if it was a toupee. But it, it's funny <laughs> you say that because we're Jordan got. So we met during the Miami Beach Antique Show, which we're where we display every year. Um, guy comes up to our booth and he's wearing a Tornick Ravo. So, uh, you oh, know, nice. vintage Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms made by Alan Tornick for the U.S. military. Yeah. Uh, around a thousand pieces were made. They were all military issued. Not a lot survived. Current market value for a good one, like a really good one, is around, say, $125,000. This guy walks up, you know, big dick, wearing this watch and beautiful example. And he's like, yeah, I paid $175,000. Like, okay, okay, cool. You know, like, I, listen, I'm keeping my mouth shut. Like, you're good to your money. Spend how you want. He then... You know, a month later, inquires about uh, Blanc Pond Mill Spec we have on our site. So, which was, you know, the same kind of the same watch, but you know, more common and I made for one, a bunch I of different bought, militaries. I one from you. Yeah, I'm explaining for the people at home. All right, you know, <laughs> fuck off. So, uh, this is an example of the Adam, of the silky Adam charm, by the right, way, you know, you, dear like, listeners. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus, like, you're, like you're treating your viewers like assholes here. I'm just, I'm to, to, I was just reminding you, man. That I'm in the, I'm in the gang. I know I'm in the you gang. have one. I know. So, anyways. I had bought this watch in Sotheby's. Uh, it was the New York sale. It was a sale that nobody really was paying attention to. Uh, there was some really great watches that sold very, very cheap. This was one of them. There was a 6542, you know, first reference GMT Master in gold that sold for like 125 grand. It was a nice example. And Davide Parmigiani was sitting right in front of me, so I didn't really want to bid against him and like poke, poke the bear. Um, but it should have gone for at least 200 plus. Uh, you know, there were some good, every once in a while an auction, cause there's so many watches, some things get overlooked. Uh, this was a watch that in my opinion got overlooked. I bought it for $40,000. Uh, generally when you see a good mill spec come up in auction, like if it's in Phillips or Christie's or whatever, they sell between 50 to 65, depending on just how nice it is. Um, so I thought there was value there. I, I love the watch. I love these watches in general. So I bought it. This guy contacts Jordan and he sees it. Uh, you know, we have it listed for 55,000 and Jordan's like, listen, we'll give you a little discount, like 10% off, you know, at 50 or whatever. Um, and he's like, well, the last one sold for 40,000. 
We're like being totally transparent. Like that's this watch, you know, like we got a good deal. Uh, everybody was kind of sleeping on it, you know, go look at other auction comps. They generally sell for a lot more. And I think I can assuredly say I sell the most vintage Blanc Pond than any kind of any other dealer. So I know the market very well. I love these watches are my favorite. Um, and so, uh, you know, we'll give it to you for 50, you know, start a relationship. It's a fair price. Uh, you can't, replace this watch for cheaper. You know, you can't go out in the market and find but one. He didn't want to do it. He didn't dude. So he was <laughs> like, well, I can't justify paying a 20% premium one. It just sold for 40, you know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, listen, you know, no problem. You know, we ended up like even agreeing to drop it down to 48 just to like, you know, cause the guy's a serious guy. He was wearing $175,000 tornic to start the relationship, but he could not psychologically accept the fact that we had bought it for 40 and we were trying to sell it now for a 20% markup, you know? Right. Uh, and by the way, my margins average out way under that, like way, like 10% or less. Um, but every once in a while- I had a similar experience. Someone was sell offered me a watch. I, I knew they'd bought it at auction. I think it went, it was a, a Rolex 3525. I think it went for like low 60s. Right. And then they would said, for you can have it for 75. Was and, this, this was the two-tone, right? Recently yeah, we talked yeah, about. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to yeah. bid on that. I was the underbidder on that. Yeah, that's that's right. And, it, and then look, I didn't begrudge, I didn't begrudge him the, you know, his, the, that, that, that profit. Um, no, because the watch is worth that, you know, it, right. it's just, you know, listen, like I said, they're, you, you know, know what especially... the thing is for me, man, is I just, I always want to, I just always, <laughs> I always want to get the bargain. Like, but, there's something but you know what, you obviously missed it in that auction, like, or else you would have been bidding, right? You no, no, I, so... I, I think, you know, what happened is I looked at the watch and it just didn't, it, it didn't really make me fizz. You know, like you look at right. a watch, it just has to be like, oh, I just, you have to have, and I, I, right. I thought it's really nice. But it didn't, it wasn't like, I don't know, it wasn't, it didn't make me kind of super excited. Understood. Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's the thing with auction is that, you know, uh, generally the prices are very retail going to an end buyer's wrist uh, or, or, you know, a car, same thing. Uh, but every once in a while, you know, dealers are able to buy an auction because there's so many watches that get overlooked because there's sheer volume, you know, especially if you're talking about, for example, the Geneva sales, you have four major auction houses selling within a three to four day period. Okay. Each auction house has a minimum of 200, 200 watches for sale. And then you look at an auction house like Antiquorum that generally has anywhere from 500 to 700 watches for sale in a given weekend. There, you know, it's impossible to keep up with all of that. You know, that's why I go to the Geneva sales and I literally go to every auction house. I don't look at the catalog until I get there. And I sit there and I go through the catalog and look at every watch and then inspect them as I go. Because if I look through it ahead of time, you know, maybe something catches my eye, but I, it slips my attention or, you know, kind of, I just want to be there on the spot, do it so I don't miss anything. And it, even that I still miss stuff. It's, it's, it's impossible. I've had, I've had pretty good luck with auctions. I found that my own, the only way I can do it though, I'm, I've done a few like live bidding things and it's just a fucking nightmare because I, first of all, I shit my pants. And then, and then you, I always end up spending, you know, because that's you, just because you're getting old. So, yeah. <laughs> well, there is that, man. I'm, I mean, I'm actually going right now, if you must know. Uh, yeah. But but uh, I find the best thing I, I've gotten some amazing deals. Just I leave an absentee bid and that's it. And either I get it or I don't get it. Well, that's so that's smart, because if you bid live, even guys like me who are very seasoned and experienced get caught up and you're like, yeah. that motherfucker just outbid me by like a thousand dollars like right. fuck you no i'm not gonna let this stand you know this aggression will not stand you know <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> i know you, you just... know what i mean but it is funny there is something there, uh, there's nothing like the relief of losing a, an auction 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's incredible. Like the, I, both in car auctions, watch auctions. Even if it's a watch, I really want. Like some, you get up to this number, and then someone outbids it, and then you feel so relieved you have to <laughs> cough up like fifty grand for this watch, even though yeah. you kind of really wanted it. Right, a hundred percent. There's like a relief for winning and a relief for losing. It just yeah. depends, you know. Because for me, like I'll bid on like ten to twenty watches if it's a big sale. And if I had one in an ideal world, all those watches, I can't afford to fucking pay for it. <laughs> so you're like, okay, cool. You know, but I always know going into it that if I'm going to bid on, let's say 20 pieces in a sale, maybe I'll win one, two or three. Like it's just so hard unless you're going to be so aggressive uh, to win all of them. Uh, Cause generally I'm bidding also against guys like you who, who really want the watch and you're not looking to buy for your inventory. You're buying one watch, you know, so you could afford to spend a little bit extra to get the one watch you really want. Do you ever, um, do you ever buy, do you ever buy what? I mean, you, you collect, you have a collection, right? Of watches uh, or not really? I, I do. Yes and no. So I have a small collection myself. Um, I also uh, collect, you've met my friend Jack in New York, right? Jack Feldman. Um, he, maybe. He's oh yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gentleman in New York, um, you know, used to write songs for musicals. Wrote all the songs from Newsies, Barry Manilow, Copacabana, all that stuff. Anyways, okay. he's become like a second dad to me. Um, so, I thought I was a, I thought I was second father. What? Yeah, not... you're like a dirty uncle Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, that nobody really likes. It's kind of like the black I mean, sheep. I mean, so, it's, it's interesting. People don't know you are the, probably the biggest collector of the Hublot Big Bang. Yes, yes, and and that's. Absolutely. I mean, you should really. I I want to get into them. <laughs> Uh, absolutely. Hey, Jordan, can you bring uh, that crystal uh, big bang we got? So wait, so so he and I collect together, um, you know, and we'll call it like our collection where really he's just footing the bill and we're, we're kind of doing it together. Uh, right. We sold off a lot of stuff over the years, though. Um, it's hard to collect, you know, uh, especially running a business because uh, because wait, let's hide this for a second. <laughs> what, uh, what's happening? <laughs> I'm changing watches midstream. Uh, it's hard to collect, especially as a business owner, because you, know, you don't really want to get. What do, you just, what do you take off? It's uh, take this it off, is a Zenith Camaro. I knew yeah, A386. I love okay. this watch. It's one of my favorite vintage chronographs of all time. Anyways, uh, it, it's hard to you know. It's kind of like getting high in your own supply, sure. and then. In my world, there's always, no matter how much money you have, there's always something to buy and something you want to buy, uh, big or small. Um, and but so that's in I every collect. That's in every watch collector's world. There's always no, something no, I want to buy. But like, but I'm doing this uh, as a job for my business, sure. you know. So like, I can't afford to really tie up a lot of money in watches that I'm not selling. Uh, so do you I'll find you have to? Do you find you have to kind of restrain? I mean, you must every now and then come across a watch that hurts to sell. <laughs> oh my god you know what i know <laughs> for people who are not watching for people who are not watching the the, the youtube video <laughs> what is that a purple big bang it's a it's like a sapphire case big bang uh a client sent me to sell two years ago and oh he has still not sent he has still not sent me the box and papers to sell it so how much is that how much is that safe. worth how much is that worth out of it oh, i think they're listed around like 70 80 grand what's it realistically worth probably yeah. like 30 to 40 i don't know i have um, to say i i was it was walking. probably a retail like 130 watch <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to say it's weird it's like admitting that i'm into something super kinky but i was walking past the hublot store in the airport the other day and i was like yeah you know what I don't mind some of those watches. You know what the weird part is, is first of all, Hublot is one of the best-selling brands to this day. Like, sure. I think the Dubai boutique, uh, low-key, is the biggest profit-generating 
boutique of like any in the world. That they Murakami, sell out of everything. The, the, the Murakami one is kind of cool. And I was actually talking about this during Watches and Wonders. I just came back from in Geneva. Um, you know, it really does. There's a lot of, Hublot gets a lot of hate because yes, they make a lot of limited editions, a lot of tacky watches or big, they're, you know, kind of gaudy. They're very hypey. Uh, but you know what? Like it's your money spend it the way you want it. And if it makes you happy, who gives a shit, whether some nerd on a forum or, you know, on Houdinki thinks they're, they're not cool, you know? Yeah, but half the joy like of it, collecting is judging other people, man. It's, it's what well, you can't go through. Like, got, yeah, I mean, you can't, I like a good brisk judgment in the morning. I mean, I will say, look, if that, <laughs> if that watch was cheap, I would probably fucking buy that watch. You know, uh, like, I'll make you an all cash uh, offer right now. How much? <laughs> I mean, how big is that watch? Oh, it's, I don't know, like 45 millimeters, I think, oh, 44? Fine. No, I can't, I can't. I'm wearing this anvil. Know. Oh, nice. Uh, don't pretend. Don't try. Yeah. Don't. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. That was, everyone, that was Adam pretending to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's just shit. <laughs> I mean, did you see, can we talk about the Beaver watch? Or is that you? Oh, God. Not? No, we could, I don't give a fuck. Okay. That's <laughs> I, don't just, have, uh, I don't have any allegiance to Jean-Claude <laughs> Biveri. Listen, the guy's a legend, you know, and did no, yeah. so much for the watch world. But like, yeah. uh, I think he's trying to build something for his son to like have, you know, as his legacy. And I'm, I'm taking this hoodlow off. I'm going to put this back <laughs> on. Um, so, I, you know, I, I applaud the effort. Um, he admittedly said the watch was rushed and they, they did it in like four months or something. I, I don't know. For me, is that is that what he said? But why yeah. would they rush? Why would they rush it to get to watches? Because they were trying to, yeah, try to try to release it like at a certain time frame. Um, look, there's a lot of really great independent watchmakers, like guys that are new, fresh on the scene, making really amazing stuff. Guys that have already been on the scene, like MBNF, you know, uh, Recep, like all these guys who are doing like really, really thoughtful, amazing pieces. And for me, the the Bever watch was very derivative and just clearly like a cash grab based off of his name, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't know. I think they should have started smaller, like to come out with a watch that's immediately $520,000. Um, right. It's just like, you're just like kind of tone deaf, you know, especially well, considering the brands that he helped build before. There's a couple um, of things that are interesting about, about that watch to me. One is that they're just visually, aesthetically, well, look, like you say, you always have to precede this conversation with he's done an extraordinary amount of amazing things to the watch industry. And that's unquestionable. But when you look at the thing that he made, um, it's just sad because there's no, there's no original thinking in there. Right. From a, just from a visual standpoint, I know nothing about how watches work. I don't really fucking care about complications and all the rest of it and repeating sonorie or whatever. I don't, know, I don't know. I know anything about that stuff. I'm just a shallow bastard. I just like how things look. And I'm kind of into history sometimes with stuff. But I look at it and I think, to me, it's like that watch fell through the fabric of space and time from 1987. Like it's, yeah, just, got mean, the, it's just got this look of the 80s. There's no, there's nothing visually interesting about it and then the second thing that's also very fascinating is to watch the amount of people and uh, who seem to think it's great and look maybe they maybe they do think it's great but i just find it hard to i think there's a lot of would. people kissing the ring uh if you right. look at the social media comments like when they first you know put out pictures like revolution or hotinki or whoever posted on their instagram and the vitriol and amount of like negative comments like far exceeds the amount of positive um right. that's not to say that i don't think they can do great things in the future i think this was just an example of a watch that was clearly rushed uh that they didn't put enough thought behind i'm not saying they didn't put any but they didn't put enough thought behind um 
it wasn't anything unique, anything new to the market, uh, anything exceptional in terms of, in my opinion, the quality. Um, I think did you're you, just buying you, the name. Did you see it in person? I did not because I okay. was my flight was like severely delayed. Uh, so everybody went to the event without me, and I got in after it had already the event had already ended. Right. Um, I do love the bracelets. I'll give them that. The bracelets are kick ass. I think yeah, bracelets are kick ass. Yeah. Um, but I mean, listen, the buyer of that watch is not us, anyways. They're not targeting us. You know, guys like you and I. Um, so. I've heard that a lot of them have already sold. Um, I know material good is representing them in the right. United States. I'm sure right. uh, I presume they've already sold some because uh, there's going to be buyers out there who just, you know, right I now get, everything independent so hot, you know, right. I guess there are things, there are things, you know, when it comes to collecting, there are things you buy because you love them. And there are things that people buy because they say you can buy them. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like you could absolutely. Like a Jacob and Co. watch. I mean, I don't understand. That is, I don't understand any of that stuff. Did you uh, see that $20 million watch? It's just so fucking ugly. It was the ugliest man. thing I've ever seen in my life. I know. I know and there's no it's... way somebody's going to pay $20 million for that. If they do, like, Jesus, I got a bridge I can sell them. Like, that's, that was the craziest shit ever. Yeah, you know? but that's genius because he'll sell it for whatever he's going to sell it for. But then it'll always be the $20 million watch. Right. But like he's been doing it's... that for a long time. You know, sure. he's been coming up with those gimmicks for a long time. So it's nothing right. new. Did you, you see know? anything at Watches and Wonders that you liked? Uh, I did. There's a lot of stuff uh, that I liked. Hold on, I'm looking for the most important thing. I don't see it on my desk. Anyways, uh, no, there's. this is actually a really good year for releases. Um, the Longe Odysseus Chronograph was really nice. Um, Rolex actually did some interesting things for once. Uh, I really liked um, the Gold GMT on Jubilee. Uh, yeah, I really like the the new Daytonas, how they changed the dimensions of the registers to mimic the original dimensions of the Zenith Daytona. Uh, pretty cool. They should have done that from the start. Um, there's a lot of brands. Chopard, that Luke, the salmon dial was really, really nice. That's People a really nice crazy watch. For that. Yeah. Um, Urwork, which wasn't at Watches of Wonders, um, trying to get one of these watches. They made this round case watch that's just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot actually, of, talking about Urwork, I find that... Um, that watch is the most successful piece of design I, for me that I've seen of their stuff. I feel like I really want to love their watches. Right. But then I feel like um, it's like a beautifully crafted sentence that doesn't really have a point. Like I love the idea they're going to make this super futuristic thing, but somehow it doesn't work for me. Like it just, right. it's too busy or it's not, the proportions are weird or I don't know what it is because I really want to love them. And maybe yeah, when you see I it mean, in person, it's amazing. I don't know. With, I've never with, seen that, with that brand in particular and her work and the guys, I, I, I went to a, a cocktail party to see these new watches and I met the owners of the company and they're brilliant guys, really awesome. Uh, but yeah, you're buying into the design. You're buying into, you know, a piece of horology that's like technologically advanced. It's not so much uh the aesthetic at that point you know but, you're, you're, but, but that is but the whole their whole thing is the design like isn't that right. whole thing and and that's the thing for me is the design somehow feels like it's not it doesn't it you know See, like, that's the great thing about the watch world uh right. is that it's all subjective and no one gives a fuck what you think that so um <laughs> well you you're, you're totally you're absolutely right man it you is know, it's totally I, subjective i think with them though you're buying into the technology and like what they're able to make you know it's kind of the same as same as mbnf you know uh yeah. and i i met with max i went to his mad castle where his you know his production facility is 
amazing watches so much to the extent that I want to buy one now myself and I've never they've never really been on my radar I've sold a couple of them uh, but I've never like wanted to own one for myself and now I'm really hunting for a legacy legacy machine 101 LM 101 what, really is that the one with the, like, the, the multiple like the things no 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 the... so it's it's the round one 40 okay. millimeters and it's just time only and it has um the balance in the middle uh, right. it's very simple uh yeah. you know because all their other cases and designs while they're, you know, like the bulldog and this and that uh, they're, they're incredible in terms of their design and what he's been able to achieve the same as her work. But for yeah. me, they're unwearable, you know, uh, just cause generally, cause I have small girly wrists. Um, so they all feel huge on me. I can't wear anything really over 40 millimeters comfortably. Um, so I, I appreciate them from afar. It's not something that I could personally ever own. I, I understand which one, well, the, the one you want. Um, I don't know what the retail is. I think the retail is around like 60 now, but you can't, you, there's like four years out. You can't, can't right. it's, it's, it's crazy to even try to get them. And, and Max is like the greatest guy ever. Sure. Like, honestly, you'd love him. Like the guy, he's is been like on the, the he's been guy. on the podcast. Oh, he has. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, him. yeah, he's like yeah. the fucking man, like greatest <laughs> guy ever. But even then it's like, I can like, see you're hey, a real fan of the Viva Bastardo podcast, Adam. <laughs> you know, I've listened to a few episodes. I listened to the very first. It's too late, man. It's too late now. <laughs> I, I listened to the very first with Strahan, um, and then a couple others. I can't remember off the top of my you head. Fell asleep but too. I did. I, yeah. I I listened to you and Strahan actually while jogging. It was very memorable. Um, so so Max is like the greatest guy ever. But like I, I, even that being the greatest guy ever, you still can't get a watch. You know, right. like come on, you're so nice. Please sell me one. Like, nope. You know, and uh, it, it's not that he doesn't want to. In a lot of these guys, it's not that they don't want to. It's just that they don't have the means to produce more without sure. like compromising on quality. It's not like the bullshit canned excuse that Rolex gave. Like this is actually true because of how intricate their watches is are. You know, and how you know long it takes and how tedious it is. Uh, and the quality controls they put over them. You know, we went and visited. Uh, actually, probably one of the most interesting things we did was we went and visited the LVMH factory uh, for Louis Vuitton watches. Yep. Who are low key making some of the most complex and beautiful watches in the no, game. No, I totally, I totally agree, man. I think LVMH stuff is amazing, dude. They're making. I mean, some I'm, I'm okay. I am sort of disappointed. <laughs> I was thinking, you know how they 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 acquired the Gerald Genta brand? They're going to relaunch yes. Genta, and I was thinking the thing about Genta is it's kind of like he's he kind of followed the same career path as David Bowie. Like I'm a massive Bowie fan, right? But right up to Please Let's explain. Dance, okay, so right up to Let's Dance, Bowie was indomitable. He was fucking genius. Like everything he made, Ziggy Stardust, Hunky Dory, Lodger, all the multiple personas, you know, Aladdin Sane. It was incredible. And then after after Let's Dance, he kind of fell off the cliff and didn't really make much that was amazing musically. Right. And so okay. Genta was amazing in the 60s and 70s. And in all the shit he did for himself, I cannot think of one watch, and I could be wrong, that is not just a crime against horology, <laughs> visually speaking. Okay. So okay, the, yeah, okay. okay. Oh, I see. I've been coming to grips with my genius Obi-Wan wisdom. <laughs> I, I am a fan of uh, Don't like tell the, me the Mickey Mouse watches. Watch. The Mickey Mouse, absolutely. They're cool. Um, <laughs> Get out. So they were making some like really awesome perpetuals at a time. And yeah, the, the case shape is not ideal, uh, but they were making with some like beautiful, like MOP dials and, and stuff like that. And like perpetual minute repeaters when a time when no one was really doing it, because it didn't make sense from a business standpoint for them to do it like in the nineties, you know, cause like it, it wasn't really profitable, uh, but they made some really awesome watches 
but yeah, I agree. Like it wasn't Genta's best case design, like the Nautilus, the Royal Oak, uh, all of those the designs Midas. were, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, the pole router, all those stuff right. was more, more commercially successful because it was more, you know, aesthetically pleasing, you know, uh, the watches <laughs> that he made for himself, probably not. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what LVMH does. But, you, but with, you're right about LVMH, man. They are, they are making. Dude, so we're walking around their factory and that's what I was, the point I was making though, is that like to make some of these watches, these really, really high end, you know, hot horology, you know, these crazy pieces, uh, the running joke as we're walking to the factory, we're like, well, how long does it take you to, to do this? Like with the case or whatever, they machine this or whatever. And they're like 400 hours, you know, per watch. But that, and that was just for like one little component. And so the running joke as we're walking through the factory is like, everything takes 400 hours, you know, <laughs> we're just like, how long does that take? 400 hours, you know, but like, the you just order your were, sandwich at lunch. How long does that take? 400 hours. Dude. But the, you know, like watching these guys work and like the way these watches were made and like seeing it all yourself, you have so much more respect because it's just so crazy. Like <laughs> the patience you have to have, the artistry, you know, the technique, you know, that's why like guys like Max and like all these guys, they're just, they're geniuses because it's, it's not easy to execute. Um, I met also with another independent watchmaker who used to work for Max. Um, he was an engineer actually. Uh, you're going to read about him probably soon on Hodinkee and I think he's going to blow up. Uh, a young guy who, in the middle of COVID, uh, you know, I had a newborn kid and he was like, started designing his own watch. And he's like, you know what? I want to do this instead. And so he left uh, working for abuser, um, and designed his own watch. And like the thought that went into it, Who, what's this and, person's name? Uh, oh, Simon, Simon Brett. Okay. Keep, keep an ear out for that. I'm hopefully getting one of his watches, but in 2027, uh, <laughs> I have to give like a deposit, but like, you know, even down to like the screws, he made these like on the back of the watch, these concave screws. And he was explaining like the process to get these made and have the machine. Cause no one else was doing it. And the cost, it was like, let's say each screw on the back of a watch costs $2. This was costing like $180 per screw. And it was like difficult to get done, but it, like, the justification for it. And when you saw the result was just like, wow, you know, and there, and there's a lot of watchmakers out there, uh, you know, that are getting the recognition, but that are making some fantastic fucking watches and interesting stuff. Like look at Sarah Paneva, you know, with the big moon phases sure, and stuff. Yeah. I'm, I, we met him too. And it's just like hearing these guys talk about their craft and what goes into it. You know, it, it's so much different than buying, you know, your Hublot, your Rolex, your Patek, whatever, you know, this is um, totally depressing me, man. Cause you know, I'm making my own watch. <laughs> no, I feel like you? I'm, yeah. Now I feel like a but total barbarian. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like such a savage because you're doing it from a design perspective like something you know interesting you know more of just on like the actual look of the watch I, sure. you're it's a completely different different thing you're doing more of like um a bamford style uh, kind of design you know where you're just modifying an already existing watch no right? no, no no oh no. you're making your own watch from scratch oh wow no i know i've been at it i've been at it for two years man and it's interesting oh, because, but because but, well it's almost ready um oh is that nice uh, well it's like a it's it's sort of a collision between the rolex midas everybody and, buys and, phil's watch <laughs> well maybe maybe not. it's a 20 percent off discount code yeah. phil's watch sucks <laughs> Disc discount code sucker uh it, it's a it's a collision between the rolex midas and and brutalist architecture which i'm a huge fan because i feel like no one is no one as you know and as you've mocked me soundly for the last couple of years i'm totally obsessed with all that stuff from the 70s because it was so sculptural and and right. no one is really doing what's interesting about independent watchmaking and 
is that is that it's a movement that everyone see so many people seem to be doing a similar kind of idea which is right skeletonized multiple subdials floating above a skeletonized movement like super complicated you know like it's it's a like it's an orgy of shit happening on the dial right. and no one is making anything that's really sculptural and and incredibly kind of simple and, and like an artifact there are a lot of i mean look at uh Recep's watches not the acrisia side but look at Recep Recci. no uh, i saw that but it's he, a but very he... simple watch you know um just very beautifully executed but then you look at smaller brands like your ferlin maris your baltics of the world you know the yeah, but those, of like and look, those guys are, th those things are beautiful but they are what they're doing is they're they're making i mean uh, uh, i mean it's a copy ish of things that or an amalgam of, of a co of something that happened that exists. You just said you're basing your watch off the Midas. No, the I'm not. It's, no, I'm not. It's because it, <laughs> because I'm saying it's inspired by, but it's not a copy. Uh, it's, okay. I mean, if you look at it, it's a, it's a, it's a it's an it's a it's a it's its own thing. Absolutely, its own thing. Who who's who's making it for you? I'm doing like, it with a friend of mine, and it's happening out in China, in Hong Kong. Oh, really? Kong. Yeah. Okay, cool. But it's a Swiss movement, all that kind of bollocks. Right. Um, the case is from China, though. That's that's common. <clears throat> You know? Yeah, it's a, it's it's nine oh four. It's the same. It's nine oh four steel. So it's like the ordering, same steel. Ordering Rolex cases, ordering cases and dials from Switzerland. Please, you'd be five years out. You know, and well, it'll cost well, that, a fortune. Well, that's know? the thing is, we looked into it, and and as you say, yeah, it was really really expensive, and it and it and the the timeline was just yeah. I mean, I was I'll be sixty by the time the watch is out. That's awesome, dude. I didn't know you were doing that. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> You can congratulate me when you see it, if you like it, man. But you know what? It's still, listen, it's still an accomplishment to actually do it because people don't realize what goes into actually making your own watch. Sure. It's very, very complicated. It's very, very hard. There's a lot of bureaucracy bullshit. There's a lot of, you know, uh, in terms of getting product and getting supplies and this and that and getting people to assemble them. So a lot goes into it. A lot, a lot, a lot goes into it. Uh, it's not easy. It's very time consuming. Um, and I hope your watch is great and I'll buy one. If it's <laughs> shit, then I will you'll tell me. Maybe you'll tell me. Oh, I, mean, I will absolutely tell you. It's inter it is interesting though, hearing you talk about touring the factories and I have this kind of, I guess I have watchmaker envy in a way because, you know, as you say, the thing that we're making is, it's, it's not like I'm not analyzing each screw and all the rest of it. It's, it's a, it's a, it's about sculpture for me, really. But ideally, right, but different, I... different, different watches, you know, sure. like there, it's like comparing a buying an old F1 car to just buying a regular street Ferrari, you know, like there's right. different, you know, there's different, you know, sure. uh, different strokes for different folks kind of thing, you know, it's so wait, it, that's it, it, now that you mentioned cars, man. Let's talk about the, you felt you would you didn't you were not interested in cars. I mean, every time I post cars, you just laugh at them and you mock them. And then all of a sudden you fell down a car rabbit hole. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've always been a car guy. I just could never really afford the cars right. I liked until, you know, the past uh, few years. Um, I do mock your cars a lot because you have I'll give you I, this. You have very unique taste you have a very no and listen i've i've grown I feel like to respect it and appreciate a lot of it now uh, is the right time for a public apology about the shamal no of course so. <laughs> come on man you i like i like the driving experience the the boxy <laughs> flares are still it's it's cooler than i thought it was going to be from <laughs> your pictures that's that as is, close as you're going to get to an apology. That, that's a very unusual. That's the best I'm going to hope. That's the best I'm going to get. From your pictures, it looked like shit. It looked like it's just like a design <laughs> failure. Um, right. It was cooler in person. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, <laughs> would I buy one? 
if I was a rich man, la di da di da di da, maybe. <laughs> uh, but like, it wouldn't be like my first choice. What's uh, the it dream was cool car? though. What's the dream car? <sighs> I mean, you don't like Porsches, so I'm just gonna. No, I do. I, do, I don't know. I don't mind Porsches, man. I like Porsches, but I feel like <laughs> that. You know, there are so many. Look, the thing about Porsches is that. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's like Rolexes. Like it's like Rolex, kind of, yeah. You know, like it's like Rolex. Yeah, yeah. Um, dream cars, you know, for me are like nine nine three GT two, so the turbo version of the car I already have. Um, <laughs> non Porsche, non Porsche. Okay, uh, on my radar next, I really would like to own at some point an RS two hundred. We oh, talked about yeah. that. I yep. would. I really would. Uh, I mean, listen, like the ultimate dream car, just, you know, a Claren F1, bah, like, you know, just right. like kind of like 15, 18, you know, uh, protect. Um, I, I, I don't would know, love man. one I, of those new, the, the new uh, Gordon Murray cars. Have you seen those? Dude, did you, I read yesterday actually that uh, only four out of the hundred clients spec'd it with a PDK or not PDK, but automatic transmission. And so he scrapped it all together because he was like, fuck you four guys. Like you're only four out of a hundred and we're making them all manual. Oh, Good that's for you, genius. man. Yeah, you know what's genius. interesting about those cars is that the one with the kind of crazy turbine fan, whatever is in the back, the, the more expensive one, I can't remember the, it, the, the cheap uh, one, I think looks right. better than the more expensive one. Okay. Do you know what, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, about? I, I, I do know what you're talking about, but I like, I, I don't, I, those like crazy, you know, you know, uh, boutique hyper cars, like I don't pay too close attention to them because it's just too much fantasy for me. You know, like yeah, but an RS two hundred is a, is a, in some ways a crazy boutique. It's just not that level of cash. no. But I'm saying in terms, of, that's my point. Like I, right. I'm never going to be in a position. Maybe I never say never, but like I, I don't see myself being in a position to afford one of those cars anytime soon, or realistically even buying one because I like to also buy cars that are usable. Uh, sure. which is my biggest problem with the Ford GT. You know, I, I wanted that car since it came out, you know, and I finally was in a position to that was buy one usable. after. It, it is, it is super usable, but like I'm in Miami where my daily car, which is a 997 Carrera, uh, you know, not super expensive car, um, has gotten hit, got hit twice within a month while I was stopped at a red light. Once in the front, once in the back, you know? So it's like, it makes you paranoid driving these like expensive cars. Uh, the Ford GT is usable when you're in the car, uh, but getting in and out is not really usable. And it's like, if I'm going <laughs> to buy- Wait till you're my age. <laughs> you just got to roll we, out we on the floor. We drove around in, in, in your, your Jaguar and like, it was amazing. But oh, like, how often- Yeah, but like, how often do you really get to use it and like it's use daily. it the way it's designed? It's a daily, man. Take the kid to school. <laughs> <laughs> that car is amazing though that car is sick did you drive it around the parking lot yeah isn't it it's yeah. easy to drive it was easy to drive for sure it wasn't right? as intimidating as i thought it was going to be yeah for sure you just gotta you gotta get a sense of like how long that nose is and you're right. good you know yeah so crazy car though you've had you've had you have one of the coolest like collections like that's ever changing uh, of anybody i know for sure thanks man. um because you think it's outside the box you know this is weird. You're like, oh, that's fucking ugly. Let me buy it. You know? <laughs> See, I was freaking out because you were being nice, and then you, and then, and then you, were, <laughs> and then you went back to real Adam, to normal Adam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. I mean, look, I mean, I, I guess the thing I feel about cars in particular is that, well, there's a because I have quite, I have limited funds. There's a very small gene pool in which I can kind of paddle around it. So why not explore whatever you can explore while you can? You know what I mean? This sure. That, and that's what I've been trying to do is that like, so when I first started buying quote unquote expensive cars, like I jumped into it without really not knowing what I was doing and I lost a ton of money. 
on those cars, reselling them as one does. Um, now I try to buy a little bit more educated. I, I still, you know, if I'm buying from a dealer, I want them to make their money. I'm going to be respectful, um, but I'm trying not to get killed and be a little smarter about it, uh, which allows me to buy a car, drive it for a year and then sell it, you know, while just kind of losing my expenses that I put into the car. Uh, right. So the cost of ownership is cheaper. Um, but I think that really is, you know, what you said is key. It's like trying to experience a lot of different things while you can. Um, it's harder to do that with cars than it is watches. Uh, watches are easier to transport. You know, it's like, if you want this watch on my wrist, like, all right, I'll overnight it to you today. Send me a wire when you get it, no problem, whatever. You know, there's no transfer of documents. There's no- that actually brings <laughs> me, that's the most, that's the most devious and genius thing that dealers do. When with your friends, like if I say, oh, I like that watch, you go, oh, I'll just send it to you. You can see how you like it. Because, you know, the, the rule of inertia is so <laughs> powerful. You're like, ah, oh, fuck. All right. I'll just, you know what? I can't be bothered to go and FedEx it back no. to you. I'll just buy it. I, <laughs> I feel like that's the it, secret it evil. Man. <laughs> okay, let me ask I you this. That. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask you this, man. What's the percentage of people who send them back? I feel like it must be 10%. Uh, I just sent a Patrizzi Zenith Daytona to a client yesterday, a friend Drew in Pennsylvania, and he sent it back today. And I have a client come to see it today because he was just like, ah, I'm just not, it's not resonating with me. No problem. Send right. it back. Um, I would say it's like 70% they keep it, 30% <laughs> they send it back. It's a genius idea. But, but you know what? Like, first you of all, buy the, for, the, 037, for the people man, listen, listening. If you, if, if you want to buy the 037, I'll just, I'll just ship it to you. Just see how you like it, man. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It's a lot harder to do that. It costs yeah. me, what, a hundred bucks to overnight the watch to you? Sure. Like, you can't just send me a car for me to test drive it. Um and for the people listening, like, please do not contact me and ask me to like just ship you a watch for you to take a look at it. Like, <laughs> Phil and I have known each other a long time, like going on like I don't know six, seven, eight years now. So yeah. like, uh, I, I trust him, and I will send him whatever he wants to take a look at. Uh, and I'll do that with certain people. It's obviously not with everybody. It's people that I know and I trust. Um, and it's not like a, there's no ulterior motive of getting them to keep the watch. It's just sometimes you know how many cars do you wish. Uh, that you've bought that you wish you could have like seen in person and drove before buying it and you get it and you're like, ah, I already paid for it. So I'm like forcing myself to love it. You know, I've had well, a few that, cars that, like I that mean, and I've yeah. had many watches like that where it's like, if I had seen it in person, put it on my wrist and like spent a little bit of time with it, I probably wouldn't have bought it. You know, you always and, know with watches, you know, that feeling when you open the, you open up the package and then your heart just sinks. Like right. The moment you see it, like, oh, it doesn't, the it, pro, the proportions don't seem right in person or it's not right. whatever. It's but that's gutting. my point, you know? Yeah. So like, that's why, you know, uh, I, ideally I would let people, you know, be able to experience the watch before like fully committing to it. It's just obviously it's not uh, possible in every scenario. It's not, but it's not like, yes, you're right. When you send somebody a watch that they're like already interested in, they're like, uh, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. But generally <laughs> that, that's not like the purpose of me sending a watch to somebody ahead of sure, time, you know? Sure, yeah, yeah, sure, sure yeah. <laughs> Give away my secrets, Phil. Give away my secrets. <laughs> uh, well, shit, man. I mean, I feel like I've taken up a lot of your time with the blathering. How much time is it? It's, we've been on for an hour at least. Okay. You uh, want to talk for another two hours? I could talk, I could... You can look at this main, this luxurious <laughs> Ooh, main. <laughs> so sexy. <laughs> well, actually, one last it's thing. It's the British I want, accent, I, too. It's like the, it's the hair coupled with the British accent. It, just, you know, I did, just, it really just, does. It, it, it makes gets a stir in my belly, you know? You know, I just did a semester abroad. That's what it is, right? Yeah. I, it's I, all I, fake. Yeah, totally, man. 
I didn't go. You and you and Magnus Walker just like faking it through life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We did it. We did like an eight week DVD class. You know, learn uh, an English accent. I will actually. I do want to ask smart. you one last thing. Sure. Um, so there's been for a lot of people who started collecting in the last four or five years. There's been this sense that you buy a watch and then you can turn around and sell it for you know twice the amount you paid for it six oh, months later. Oh. So so now. <laughs> uh, so, let me sit back. Let me sit yes. back for this one. Oh, so uh, so right. so. so What's that like from the perspective of a dealer? Because you it's must have people who want to- fucking miserable, Phil. <laughs> so I remember a time before I was even a dealer as a collector, I would buy a watch. And like, if I'm buying it from a dealer, which I did all the time, I would understand that like I'm paying a retail price, but I have the peace of mind getting it from a dealer that they've inspected the watch. I have a warranty or it's good or whatever, you know? Um, and I would expect to lose money. So like, for example, I buy a watch for $10,000. I wear it for a year, sell it for 9000 uh, the cost of ownership was $1,000 to wear that watch for a year. Meanwhile, you know, eight years, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, you go buy any car, drive it off the lot, you immediately lost 30%. So like when you did it with the watch- If you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky, you know, if not more. Uh, with watches, generally, if you buy smart, you're not going to lose your ass. Uh, so the cost of ownership is low and that's great. Uh, in the past three, four years, because the market has been so hot, everybody buys a watch and people have been buying watches and- the market went up, so they sell it and they make a profit and that feels good. They made some money, you know, and then they expect every transaction to go that way. Yeah. I have clients who will buy a watch and then literally within weeks turn around and be like, hey, what can we get for it now? I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, well, hasn't it gone up? You know, what? You know, so at, at the very least, they want to break even on their purchase. I mean, shit, uh, so do I. You know, I buy watches all the time that like, I'm like, listen, I'm going to pay $20,000 for this watch. I think it's worth 25,000. Uh, I'm so sure of it. And then I get it and nobody fucking agrees with me. And I have to sell it for 15,000, you know, and I take a $5,000 loss. Like, uh, but I'm used to doing that. Like, and I'm not afraid to take a loss. You know, there are so many people, they've gotten so complacent in the past few years because the market has just gone like this, gone up, uh, that they could, God forbid, they should lose a single dime reselling their watch. And it's, right. it's very frustrating. There's obviously there's a lot of people who get it, you know, and that are realistic. Uh, but there are way too many people who just don't understand that. And, and they forgot what it was like to buy a watch. Listen, a watch, just like a car is like a piece of art is a non-essential luxury good. We don't need these to live. You know, we just want them. Uh, so you sh yes, they are good and good. They are good quote unquote investments. If you buy them right and you're patient, uh, but there's no such thing as a guarantee in life, you know? Uh, and if you're buying a watch as an investment, primarily you're already behind the eight ball because you should be buying them because you're passionate about them. Like guys like you are, you know, um, that should be your first primary motivating factor. And my clients who do the best on watches in the long term are the guys that like they'll buy a watch for me. They're not really caring so much about, you know, how it's going to retain its value and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They just really love the watch and they come back to three years later, whatever. And they're like, Hey, you know, I've worn it. I've enjoyed it. Uh, time to move on. You know, what can I trade in for you? You know, like I paid you 20 grand for this watch. I'm like, well, market's gone up. I could give you 30. And they didn't even, they, they're not even paying attention. They're like, Oh really? That's great. You know, those are the guys that do the best, you know? Um, I'm getting in right now on consignment, for example, an AP, uh, sonnery from like the nineties, like a, just a simple yellow gold minute repeater AP, uh, client. I helped source for a client out of China. Uh, he bought it two and a half years ago for like, at the time it was like all the money it was like 36 or 40 grand or something like that. Nobody wanted this watch, just, uh, nineties AP, like nobody cared, like, ugh, kind of, you know, 
whatever watch. One just sold yesterday in Hong Kong in Sotheby's for 105 grand. Now, right. when this guy bought it, he just wanted it because he just bought it because he liked it. You know, he just, he's like, oh, you know, I think that's good value. Like it's a beautiful watch. It's a repeater for like 40K, you know, AP. Um, wasn't really thinking though about like future upside. You know what I'm saying? He just liked the watch, bought the watch, you know? And here it is now. It's worth like six figures. You know, they've gone up a lot. People have caught on that they were supremely undervalued. Um, and, I, and those are the guys, about, I can't say that about anything I own. <laughs> it's it's hard. It's hard to time the market. Uh, and that's why, you know, there are a lot of dealers out there who will buy a watch and then tuck it away for 10 years, you know, and let the market just kind of blossom. Uh, it's really hard to do that though, uh, A, for somebody like me, A, because it obviously ties up money, but B, it's, you just never know. There's no, there's no, there's no guarantees in life. There's no sure bets, you know, unless you, you're buying something that say it's worth a hundred thousand and you're getting a great deal. You're buying it for 40,000. You already have that inherent value. So like, sure. sure, you can wait an extra five years and hope it goes to 200, you know, uh, you already have that luxury because you have that built in cushion. Uh, but generally it's hard to time the market. It's hard to understand and predict the market. Uh, cause the watch market's just like any other market, like stock market, car market goes up, goes down. Uh, it's beholden to what's going on in the global market. You know, it is, it is interesting though, to, because I think for people who there is this kind of mindset that when you're in the middle of an up market, so many people never consider the possibility of a down market. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it, it's, psychologically, it's interesting, like the idea that you that people are buying these Daytonas or these subs or whatever it is, and they were not rare watches and they were expecting them to, to triple in value. But why would they? Yeah. They're it, not took, rare. it took a lot of, I think, a lot of collectors uh, by surprise, especially like around August, September of last year when the market kind of really, really corrected itself. Yeah. Um, you know, and crypto crash, and, you know, the war and this and that. Uh, and a lot of these guys were relatively new to the game. So like you said, they hadn't experienced the down market yet. And it was very interesting, like them offering me a watch. You know, it's like, let's say it's some Batgirl, you know, or some Hulk, you know, and they were going for over 20K. And it's like, well, I can only pay you like 15 for it now. You know, like, what do you mean? It was last month, it was 25 grand. I'm like, but it's not anymore. And they just <laughs> couldn't, they couldn't accept that. So like, sure. it was really hard for like a period of like 60 days to buy any of these watches. Like it was almost like, business was frozen because nobody was willing to take the loss except for dealers. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but privates weren't e e expecting or able to accept the, the, the change in value. Uh, and they were like, I'll oh, just hold on to it. And then they realized that just holding on to it wasn't going to help their situation improve. Right. Uh, so then they came around and started selling them, you know? And meanwhile, since prices dipped strongly, they've stabilized and even some models have gone up like the ceramic daytona you bring up uh they were at their peak like uh, let's say a panda you know new card uh recent date was trading at like 45 50k uh then they crashed all the way down below 30 uh now if you ask me like when we hang up like hey adam find me a brand new daytona right now um you know the old model the one that was just discontinued because none of the new ones are out yet uh the 116500 uh it's going to cost me like 35 grand for it and they dip below 30. So they've gone back up a little bit. Uh, it, it's kind of like, again, it's all cyclical. Uh, I think people panicked last year when the market crashed, and, uh, you know, just kind of started dumping things. Uh, but it, it, the watch market is just like any other market, which for me is a good thing. You know, it shows that there's stability there, that there's like lasting you know, staying power there, you know, if it was just a fad and then everything crashed and then, you know, never came back and that was it. Uh, 
<laughs> like it like bubble bags. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, even bubble bags have a good market, you know, right. uh, it's just a much more niche market. Um, but like it shows that like the watch market overall, whether it's modern vintage, doesn't matter. Uh, there's so many people involved now and there's so much interest and it's so much more global than it was, let's say 10 years ago. Uh, that is an actual market. Like it's an actual asset class now. And as a, as an owner of a, a expensive watch or a collector, a fan, whatever, it's reassuring to know that there is like, it's, it's almost like a currency that it's backed. You know, it's not just like sure. crypto that will like vanish in the air, like or an NFT, like poof, you know, okay, one wait, day it's there, so, one okay. day it's gone. Let me ask you, know? you this, man. Well, how much is this worth now? <laughs> This Blancpain, <laughs> give me, uh, no, no. give me. I, I'm interested to I know. Haven't, listen, I haven't sold one of those in quite some time. I would say probably in the eight to twelve k range. I don't know. I ha- it's be- it's probably been five years since I sold one of those. Really? No, no shit. Yeah. No shit. They don't come around very often, so maybe it's worth more. I, I really so don't much know. more, I, man. So much more. Yeah, I, you know, but like <laughs> that was of like the Blanc vintage Blancpain world. That was always a much more niche model. Uh, everybody sure. looks at the 50 fathoms, they look at the mill specs, they look at the Tornix. You well, know? because there's a couple um, of things. One is it's it's much rarer than those watches. Two is it's much uglier than those watches. Yes, yes. But in at a least kind of. You said it, not me. You you know? <laughs> well, because I was, you know, I know, I knew you were going to say it, so I thought I might as well just stick, kick myself in the nuts and yeah. give you the pleasure, Adam. But you know what? You got it. You have a unique vision of buying fucking ugly watches, you know? <laughs> They are not. You're talking about my 70s stuff. For such a sexy guy, you buy such <laughs> ugly watches, ugly cars. You know you what, know? man? You know what? What is? What, give me a watch that I have this ugly. Come on. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, you have you have great taste in like pre Daytonas. I really appreciate uh, your respect and an admiration for like 50s uh, Rolex chronographs like that, like a lot of people overlook because it sure. doesn't say Daytona on the fucking dial. Right. Um, and they're some of the most unique pieces in the Rolex world. Um, I, love, I love those things. Yeah. You You're know, talking and, about all the 70s Patek stuff that you hate. I mean, they're not my taste, but again, sure. that's like, well, like we said earlier, like this is all subjective and that's the beauty of the watch world, of the art world, of the car world, you know, is that like, there's no wrong answers. You like what you like and that's that, you know, and, and right. there's, you know, just because I don't like it doesn't mean your choice to buy and wear that watch is wrong. You know, it means you're wrong. I'm always wrong. So it's okay. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and that's the beauty of it. You know, you personally have a unique vision and you don't give a fuck what other people think, which is great. Um, and it, it, it's kind of individualized. You're right. Rolex is like Porsche. It's boring. Uh, it's very vanilla and commercial. Uh, and you know, a lot it of is, people it, like it, that, well, you know, funny thing is, I like it, that. But you know, the, the so, thing about Rolex is it is and it isn't like if you like, that's why I like all the pre-Daytona stuff, like if you root around, you can find really unusual design, really interesting, really sophisticated, subtle variants and, and things that are super rare that aren't necessarily I a mean, lot of money. You brought up, you brought up bubble backs. Look at the design of some of the dials. Love, in the bubble amazing. Backs. Amazing. Insane. Like why yeah. they don't do that anymore. Like the sector dials, the guilt dials, sure. all these crazy variants that like. They were so beautiful, you know. I mean, I really, I, still, I, I really believe that if if, if bubble backs were thirty six mil, they would be the most collectible. Yeah, but there are like semi bubble backs that are are thirty six millimeters, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but the true, like the true no, thirty two mil, those yeah, ones yeah. have the craziest dials. For sure, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's it's a shame that Rolex doesn't bring some of that stuff back. But now they're making puzzle watches with fucking emojis. So, <laughs> uh, I don't know, you know. I mean, I gotta say, man, I I don't I I think it's pretty ugly looking. But oh, I really, I, but I admire. I'm kind of happy that they did that. You know, like yeah, I'm you just, know, for sure. They're like 
you know, not taking themselves so seriously, which I appreciate. Right. And the funniest part is going to be that, like, even though that watch sucks, sucks, yeah. it's going to be like the hardest one to get because those dials are only apparently made by like one guy. And so he can only produce like so such a finite amount of them. So like no one's going to get them. And it, it, that's what I heard. It's going to be like the hardest one to get. You know, I, I really love that palm dial. I know you have one of those. You want me to send it to you? Take a look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just have a look. I would I, seriously, man. I kind of want, but I kept waiting for the price to drop. Why is the price not going down on that? Can because they're awesome. I had one myself personally, and now it's with Jack in New York. Um, I love that watch. Like that's such an interesting dial and like the way they like reflect back at you. Like you, it's one of those watches where you look, it like looks different depending on the angle you're looking yeah. at it. It was just something very interesting that Rolex did. Uh, they only did it in the 36, which is perfect, perfect size. Is that, you they know. discontinued or still going? Uh, I think it's still going. I didn't, I don't think that was discontinued this year, you know, and it sucks because like Rolex, like they made some beautiful stone dials this year, but they fucking always make them with the diamond uh, indices are like three, six, nine or whatever. Right, yeah. They can't just do normal. So like they did the Eisenkaisel last year, which was beautiful. And they did baguette indices. And I wish they would just do normal markers with no diamonds whatsoever. I wish they would just do like a, a, a stone dial date just like they did in the seventies. That exactly. would be the business. And but white like, gold, say, man, and white gold or platinum. Fuck, that would be amazing. Exactly. No, no markers whatsoever. But yeah. if you're going to do markers, do it like the Eisenkaisel and just do baguettes that are very subtle. When you do like the diamond markers that are like the three, six, you know, uh, Arabic numerals, it just looks yeah. like shit. And so yeah. they made, they came out with this, these beautiful stone dials this year, like Bravo Rolex, but you fucked it up by putting those goddamn <laughs> markers on it, you know? Oh, if they would just do no markers like their original ones, it would be knockout. People would be fawning over to get it, you know? Sorry, it's my wife calling me. Um, Does she not know who so, I am? Uh, she's better off for it. <laughs> yeah, off for everyone, it. Is, everyone is better off not knowing who I am, to be honest. Right. So, uh, All right, man, well, look, hey, I've got to, I, I'd love to talk more, but I've got to go to CrossFit, man. I mean, I don't. I know you're always calling. I know you're my... The saddest part is that you're serious about that. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, it's, it's so true. Sad. <laughs> Listen, man, this doesn't come easy. What you see here. This is can we get like some of... video of you doing CrossFit? Is that possible? <laughs> oh my god, man, it's like it's like I'll watching pay like for a, that. It... <laughs> only fans, only fans of Phil doing CrossFit. I it it would just be sad because that's like I'm lifting basically for like. Johnson Johnson cotton earbuds. And there's like you know. this like 35 year old like housewife like killing you at it. Absolutely. Like, lifting that's, the tire like, uh, that's oh, you pussy. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. That is so true, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I have to take a break every five minutes. I'm wheezing like a punctured uh, bagpipe. I mean, the whole thing, man. That's all right, though. You have cool cars. So, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll give all, you a pass well, and, and relatively cool watches. So it's okay. Well, look, man, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. I mean, Dude, thanks been, for having we, me. We've been talking about it for a while. Uh, so it, it would have been, been better as, to do it in person, but it hasn't worked out. Well, so I appreciate ne uh, making man, it work. Next time you're in the city, we'll do we'll have a one-on-one -on -one Greco Roman situation. I just want to come drive your cars again. Okay. I don't care about the podcast. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, anyway, thanks so much, man. It was a real Talk pleasure. Talk to you later, brother. Later, man. Bye.